Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a wine podcast that is thankful for the stories, the people, the world-class wine that we get to speak on in each episode. We're in Paso Robles wine country, baby. We're also so thankful for you. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Well, as we put Thanksgiving into focus and the holiday season, I thought it would be really fun to have a couple of glasses of wine, or more, who knows, and just an informal chat with a legend. Sit in front of the fireplace, leather chair, our dogs laying around us, and just drinking wine and chatting. This will be fun, especially when I tell you who we're chatting with, the godfather himself, the one and only Gary Eberly. We'll also be joined by winemaker Chris Eberly, no relation, which is so interesting to me because my last name, Montiel, it's not that popular of a surname. I don't run into a whole lot of Montiels, but Eberly is about five times more rare of a surname than even Montiel. So for Gary Eberly to hire a winemaker named Chris Eberly, that's pretty remarkable. And of course, it's just perfect. We're recording in Gary's living room. We talk Thanksgiving, wine pairings, uh, Paso Limestone. We get into a lot. And uh, just drinking and just talking because it's Thanksgiving. We're coming into the conversation talking about back in the day, in this case, late 70s. Gary is making wine for Estrella and is now beginning to bottle his own Eberly wine. Glasses up. Give me that moonshine, woogie bow. We pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Seventy-nine uh, Cabernet and eighty Chardonnay were the first wines under my label that I did, but I did the Madastrea. I didn't build the winery until eighty-three. Oh wow! I was taking up my um, equity position that I had. I owned about less than four percent of that place. Was it pretty much the same wine as Estrella? Like the exact same wine as a different label? Um, the Chardonnay absolutely was. Yeah. The Cabernet. Which one sold more? Oh, the Cabernet. Yeah. No, no. Which one sold more? The uh, oh, the Estrella. I mean, they they were a big name. Oh yeah, it was. I mean, there was there were. I I think I had maybe twelve hundred cases of Chardonnay. Estrella had like forty five thousand. Oh wow, they were big. Oh yeah, no. I mean, when I left Estrella, we were doing three hundred thousand cases. Is that right? Was that the biggest winery here? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There wasn't anything like that before. When I... When I when, dude, what's up, dude? Chris Emberley. Good to see you. Yeah, when I started... Well, yeah. <laughs> Grab that, and then like, if you can open that if you want, or... Yeah, no, I just brought uh, one of Gary's favorite wines from the East Coast. What is that, Gary? How the hell... <laughs> you want to... Hey, you, you really don't like him, do you? What is it? West, Dublin? West open it up. Hey, yeah. the, I've never tried it before. You, you know where the glasses are. Look at the color on that. What is that, Gary? What's it's the- Scuppernong. Scuppernong? It is Vitus Rotundifolia. It is the uh, one of the Native American Vituses. It is made primarily in Georgia and uh, Florida and so that's North not Vitus Carol- vinifera. That's not wine, what we know as wine grapes. No. But it's fermented grapes. It's... Grapes. It is vitus. It's grapes, and the grapes they grow like in like cherries. Like they hang like three on a, like a wow. s- stem, and they're about oh that big around, and they're the skin is actually brown and kind of rough. So vinifera, they, is they kind look of- more like a golf ball. 
Oh, wow. Than a grape. So vinifera is more the kind of grape. Vinifera uh, is the genus. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, Classification? Vitus is the genus. And then there's, you know, Rotundifolia, Vitus vinifera. There's, uh, there's, there's a lot of them. There, oh, yeah. There's about 50. There's Vitus California. You know, the grapevine uh, was named after a... Vitus California, and if you go there in the spring, particularly, and you'll see the grapevines. But we, it's it, it does it, the fruits about the size of a BB. Uh, Chris Everly just showed up. What did you pour? This is pretty interesting. I like this uh, Scuppernog. It's uh, Gary's. You know, we've been trying to get our hands on some for a couple years now. We've been talking. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's. What do you mean trying to get our hands on some, like to make some? Oh, well, I mean, I I could. I got to ship it over from the East Coast, right? But, uh, <laughs> It's. Uh, I mean, you smelled it. It's very fragrant. It's very aromatic. It smells like my grandmother's closet. It smells like scuppernong. Yeah. It's, and the uh, grapes taste just like this. And if you take it dry, you will hate. You will hate yourself. Yeah. Well, this is not off dry. This is sweet, right? This is sweet. Oh, and this is sweet. you know this is a muscadine uh, variety, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Vitus. Wild. Vitus. Uh, Rotundifolia, and it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's it's very kind of foxy. It's, um, you know, a little, I don't know. I guess you could say furry. And you might know that's interesting. For what it's worth, it's not bad. It's the best scuppernong I've ever tasted. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. I mean, it, it, they've they've cleaned it up. Most of them were just out of the out of the glass. Knock your. No, your your sunglasses. I mean, well, that's no. great because I got a second bottle. Oh, were you I'm so uh, excited? Which is going into your cellar. <laughs> were you successful to put some rosé aside this year? And do you have some rosé that you fans of your winery yeah. can uh, get for Thanksgiving and stuff? I'm, I'm taking four bottles for Thanksgiving uh, on Thursday, and uh, we we have. Uh, I don't know. There's still, I don't know, not much. Maybe 20 cases left. Of yeah, we've got side. enough to last us to the next bottling, which is in three weeks. Yeah. Do you like that he does that, that he holds a little bit aside to do that? Well, when we're running low, it, yeah. it does make sense during well, like, we the did, holidays. Yeah. yeah, we didn't sell it for a couple of months. We always, but uh, we always set a little bit aside. I've known that, that about yeah. you. I like that. Yeah. Because I mean, rosé goes great with Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, turkey, cranberry sauce. All of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's probably the, yeah, I mean, of, of all of the wines, I mean, I, I Good Pinot Noir, uh, yes. something like the Saintsbury Garnet, you know, a, a light Pinot or a dry rosé to me is the, is the ideal wine for turkey, you know, something that doesn't overpower turkey that stands up to stuffing and sweet potatoes and, Lamb. you know, in American traditional Thanksgiving, everything comes on the table at once. You know, if you could serve it in courses, you'd have six different wines. But everything comes at once, and uh, what do you put out there? Yeah, wow. And plus, you know, the rosé, nice pink wine. It it looks very festive on the table. Rosé is perfect yeah. Thanksgiving wine. What else do you like to drink? I like, I'm like. i with him on Pinot Noir. What else are you into uh, for Thanksgiving? Negronis. Uh, Amen, huh? Beer. <laughs> no, Pinot and rosé, that's like that's the staple for Thanksgiving. For what sure. is like your Thanksgiving plans idea? Like, what do you guys like to do? do you, is it like football and you have people over and you go to somewhere? Do you do it at your house? Like, how do you do Thanksgiving, Chris? 
Uh, I typically try not to go too far because, you know, traffic in California is crazy. Mm-hmm. This year, it's kind of been tradition the last few years to go to, um, over to Bella Luna. Oh, yeah? And hang out with Jimmy Zanoli and, uh, and that crew. So we've been doing that last four or five years, actually. And uh, it's great. I don't have to cook. I don't have to do anything. I mean, I wouldn't cook anyways. But, um, yeah, hang out and drink and, and football's probably on. And, yeah. You mentioned Bella Luna. We're just like a – when this publishes, about a week away or so from uh, services for Sherm. Yeah, on the 3rd. Yeah. Do you remember Sherm? Did you meet him a bunch or a little bit or no? I hung out with Sherm a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did a lot of drinking together, hanging out. Uh, he was a he was a great guy. He really was. He was a special guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you um, have some rapport with Sherm? You know him well. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I think the first time I met Sherm was certainly back in the '70s, um, and I started, you know, flying. And uh, uh, his dad was uh, one of the instructors over there, you know, the old patrol line. But I've gone decades through the years with Sherm. Yeah. Yeah, that is a special one that we lost. That's going to be a great celebration of life at the uh, at the Warbirds Museum for him. You know what I love with having you guys on is talking this harvest because what an interesting pain in the ass of a harvest, right? Uh, <laughs> interesting, if you, if interesting you can, is a word for well, it. Yeah, that's if one you can word. Sum it up in one finger, Gary. No. <laughs> what is? Uh, tell me, Chris. What was it like? My God. Oh man, it was pretty wild. Yeah, I mean it. Because it, I've had people that'll be like. Out of 28 years, this was the biggest pain in the ass harvest. But you have done harvest all over the world. I mean, so... Well, I mean, we got hit with just about everything this harvest, other than, like, you know, locusts and uh, (laughs) rivers turning to blood and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I've I've experienced a lot of this kind of stuff before, even in Paso, but... I mean, we had we had how many days of 105 plus, 10 to 12, 11, 11 days, you know, even and it wasn't just us. It was all of California. Napa, you know, had record breaking days. Sonoma had two days of 115. That's crazy. You know, but it was looking like a great vintage. And then mid-August comes. You're just like, oh, shit. Um, But even 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 the, the winter and spring were different. Yeah. This yeah. It, it was a That's interesting. Yeah. I mean it was a late harvest. It, it was, was meant to be a late harvest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and everything started off late and then we hit a hot spell like we've never seen in Paso since 84. And uh fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you know, you we, it got humid for a while. I don't know if the grapes react to that, but I certainly do. It was like, humid. Got, remember right after the heat spike, it got humid for like a week or so. Yeah, like, no, it was this? humid, and then it's like, hey, here's some rain. Yeah, cool. right. <laughs> awesome. You know, we make twenty twenty plus varieties, and so you, I didn't panic, but you know, you pick certain things, like you pick Zin, you pick you know some of those varieties that are going to be susceptible to to that kind of heat, and anything that doesn't have a good canopy, you, you know, you just kind of get through. You so pick that, it early. In some cases, yeah. Because it wasn't like 2017 where if you kind of – it was a little bit of a heat spike. If you waited out, maybe those bricks dropped down. This one was like it's going to be a long time. And if you don't have workers or it planned out, you you could be bringing things in like 30-plus bricks. Well, I mean if I remember correctly, that heat in 17 was later on in harvest. You're right. You know, so this one was much earlier. And so when you you have different – you know, 20 different varieties to pick, you got to strategize and figure out, okay, what do we need to pick Mm -hmm. before the heat and then, you know, beat everyone else because, you know, we're all – all pooling for the same labor you know right and so you get through the heat and then it's like okay cool a little bit of a break you know you're picking stuff you know slowly and it's like oh here's rain crap okay so now we got to pick things like you know that are you know tightly bunched we got to pick barbera you know some other stuff and so you got to strategize for that and then uh 
Yeah, and then the locusts came, and then, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, you, and you still have grapes out there. You haven't picked yet. Oh, yeah, grapes are still hanging the out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's, it's a special little thing that he does. No, no, we picked it. We picked it. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. No, it's in. Okay. Everything's in. So everything's in. Okay. I, I, I thought it was still hanging out there. That must feel good then. Oh, yeah. No, no. It, we're, we're good. But, uh, you know, surprisingly, I went downstairs like two weeks ago, and I was tasting through or smelling through everything. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. You know, so I was pleasantly surprised what uh, was what it really a, a like. lot of people are saying like that, you know, that term like the winemaker's harvest, like this is going to be the one where you see what, you know, how good you are, because it wasn't like 2019 where almost like Mother Nature just kind of gives you this and is like, OK, here, everything's all good. You know, almost like a charmed vintage. It was, it was very different. Well, 2019 was, yeah, I mean, that was a great harvest. That was a fantastic vintage, especially for Bordeaux. And 17, I mean, that wasn't, you know, that was you can kind of compare it to how t- uh, 22 was, but it was later on in harvest. So like you had half your stuff in already. And then this heat comes it's like, well, well, I mean, that's, that's cab. It'll be fine. You know, but this one, it was just like, you really had to like think about and strategize what you were going to do. And I think it, it, you know, it will be a winemaker's harvest all throughout California. Like you had to show, you know, what you're made of, but at the same time, there's a lot of things out of your control. Yeah. You know, like labor and and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you just do the best you can. When you have a harvest like this, then, does it still create decisions that you're going to have to make, say, next year, whether it's like with adding this or doing that or where it's coming along? Or is it just kind of like once we get out of this chaos and it goes to bed, we're fine? I mean, there was another aspect to this harvest. There were lots of... People were, were reporting all over California high VAs, like must coming in, high volatile acidity. I mean, luckily, there wasn't much in our stuff. And we were getting reports from ETS or like, you know, um, stuff from Gordon Byrne saying, hey, you know, watch out. There's, you know, high VA and that kind of stuff. And we're seeing this and that. And But luckily for us, we didn't see, you know, a lot of that at Eberly. I know some other people who had some problems with that. But um, this is the kind of harvest where you definitely think about things and what you're going to do in the future. But at the same time, I've completely forgotten about it. Yeah. <laughs> like it is gone. Yeah. Almost just like something that, you know, you just want to like write it off. For yeah. Did that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think some of these things, it's so funny because every year is so different, but then you see certain themes and maybe you can liken a vintage to say maybe one that was, I don't know, four, seven, eight, nine, whatever years ago. But do you ever see having to pull these experiences out again? I guess I hope not, but you're probably still ready for it. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, that was, I just completed my 22nd harvest. So, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot I still haven't seen, but I've seen a lot, you know, so nothing really surprises me anymore. And it's just more of just, you just make decisions and you get on with things. For Paso, what varietally looked good and maybe what areas did good like oh i've seen like adelaide it did really good or, or maybe um you know cab franc was really hit hard do you have kind of a scope on that i think uh areas is probably a better um yeah so i think i think out here in like the geneseo area and Australia, we were pretty good as long as you had a good canopy which with some of the older stuff like our you know a state cab we struggle i mean it's like it's a foot of um you know shoots with a little bit of leaves and you're just like well well, that's gonna fry yeah but um i don't know i think parts of the adelaide district got hit pretty hard 
Um, you know, and if you're over by like Alta Kalina area, they were, they finished pretty early. So, I mean, they did, I don't think they got much of the heat. Um, so we did pick some Syrah and stuff from that area and that, I mean, it all looked pretty good. It was, you know, it's pretty, some of it's a little underripe, but it missed the heat for sure. Varieties wise, I don't know. Zin looks pretty good. Really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, Zin looks good. Um, Cab looks good. I'm not going to tell you what looks bad. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, overall, I think, no, I think, I think this is going to be, considering what we went through, I think this is going to be, um, if you made the right decision, I think this is going to be pretty decent vintage. Oh, we were in France. They were talking about how when they make wine there, it's like five or six or whenever they get off, they go home. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. here, it's like, oh, we're coming in at, like, you know, 11.45 to do another punch down or whatever. But oh, they, no, can, no, they no. can turn it off there. I think I take enough, like, CBD at night to just, like, you know, yeah, right, knock yeah. myself out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think you have, to, you have to kind of turn off at some stage. And, of course, like, you know, you go home and you think about stuff and, like, what you have to do the next morning. But, you, you know, you try and do all that at work. You prep for the next day before you leave, and then so you can leave it all behind. And I've worked in France. I know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. You know, we had like two hour two hour lunches, right? And we yeah, had, and we started like eight o'clock loosely. You know? Right, yeah, sure. Uh, we went home usually like five thirty. That's great. It was great. Right. Do you remember when you were in Chris's position? Would you stress out? How would you kind of like mentally take on maybe a really like you know bitch of a harvest or things like that? Oh boy, you know, just me and Toby, and we were doing about half of what Chris does as far as you know grapes coming in you know the worst part about it was when we were pressing off wines and i remember like in october we're pressing off cabernet and uh, toby would be sluicing the tank i'd be out running the press and it was one o'clock in the morning wow and you were cold and it was cold outside because the press was outside and you were always wet and you had to get, I mean, it wasn't an option. You you worked until it was done. And then you had to clean up because the next morning you, you, had, gra- you had grapes coming in at 8 o'clock. And I remember going home like at 3.30 and you're sticky and you're wet and you're cold. And you go in and you take a shower and you crawl into bed at 4 o'clock and you go... Shit, I gotta be up at six thirty, seven o'clock, <laughs> and then you and, and you're exhausted, and you couldn't go to sleep, and you're going, please let me go to sleep. Just give me three hours, please, two hours, anything, and then you got up the next morning, and then you had new grapes coming in, and you just did the same thing all over again. I remember a couple of the crushes. I'm in fact, Toby, probably still has nightmares about it <laughs> you know, where you know it was like one of those crushes where everything's compressed instead of here so you're stressing on space you're stressing here. on time yeah and it. it was no we were only doing like 300 tons and uh but boy i tell you i i used to hate halloween because halloween i was always cold and i was always sticky <laughs> and I was always. We don't have them anymore, but the honeybees used to be. Oh, they were bad oh, this year. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh man. Honeybees or yellow jackets? Uh, both. Yeah. Okay. Well, honeybees were the worst for. And you, I remember going up one time. You know the ladder. I grabbed the damn thing, and there was a honeybee on it. And I'm about halfway up, and he hit, stung me. And I'm going. 
Oh, fuck. Do I just fall down and die? <laughs> or do I just... Are you allergic or what? No, no, but I mean, come on. It, it was hurt. just like, come on. It, it hurts. Like, oh, Jesus. Sure. Oh, man. I, that's the last thing in the world I needed at that time. Well, we have to be very careful because we do have someone. Our cellar master is deathly or was deathly allergic. I mean, he's still alive, but he yeah. gets like... But it's bad. Like, you have to have yeah. an oh, yeah. around. And- yeah. Oh, yeah. We have epi-pens. So we, like, we rinse everything down a couple times a day and i'm going back to like being cold like when you get into october like october uh late november it starts to get really cold and every every time regardless what's going on you will get soaked 10 minutes before you leave work without a doubt will happen yeah and you're freezing you know the other thing 30 tonight and i mean we, we had 28 last time toby and i both I mean, you'd go, you're working, you're working, you're working, you've got nobody, you're just, you're just two of us. And the minute the last tank was pressed and things were put away, you'd come down with a horrendous head cold and it oh. would knock you down. We like it doesn't. COVID could be coming through. Yeah. Everyone around you could have COVID. Your body will not allow you to get sick during harvest. Mm-hmm. But once the last fruit comes in or the last tank is pressed, you get hit with something. Is that right? But I'm telling you, you will not. Oh. I have not been sick during harvest in 20 years. It's like your body almost like supersedes. Yeah, it knows with, with immunities. Yeah, you can't. You can't. No, you have to do it. You right. cannot get sick. Yeah. Yeah. And then afterwards, it just hits you like a train. Yep. Oh, boy. Dang. Yeah, because you got little ones, too. Yeah. Sure and they're, they're always... sick. You know, one of them's sick every other week. Right, right. Yeah. What a trip. Did you tell them about the throwback? Which throwback? The cab. The Everly. Oh, yep. So, um, you know, when Gary was uh, making one, especially some of the first ones at at Everly and Estrella <laughs> And well. Estrella, Absolutely, yeah. You only have new barrels to work with. And back then, I mean, today you can go, you can call someone and get some old barrels. But back then, there wasn't a lot of people around, obviously. And so you used new barrels. And he used a lot of new American oak. And so we're doing a throwback cab. Uh, only four barrels. Because when he asked me to do this, harvest was over. <laughs> there wasn't any more fruit I could bring in. So we took some estate cab and we put it in. I double oaked one of the barrels because so I thought that would be fun. Like 200%? Uh huh. Cool. Just one barrel. Just one barrel. Mm-hmm. So overall, it's so not. maybe like twenty case, twenty five cases. Yeah, but uh, so it's it's mostly new American oak. So one double oak, one mm. twenty, one nineteen, one eighteen. So all together, it's pretty it's pretty oaky, mm. but all American. A state cab, Gary's throwback. It's actually tasting pretty damn good. Really? Yeah. I yeah. didn't want to say it, but yeah. uh, well, for- you know, <laughs> when when I was, when I was at school, uh, the analogies staff would have you pick reference wines you know your your best the cabernet that you love the chardonnay the pinot the cab the zinfandel whatever and my reference cabernet was the 68 bv private reserve that the dick peterson made that andre chelichev got credit for but i mean the fruit came off of the madame de Penn's vineyard of george latour's daughter and that's the fruit that's our clone that's our clone that's exactly what it is and that wine was aged entirely in American oak, no French oak on it at all. And I, to this day, it's still in you know in my mind. It yeah. is you know it is the. It's like a great opera to you. Yeah. What is? Uh, are, you, are you just like? Come on, we need French oak. Are you cool with it? What do you think? You want you like French oak, but you 
Well, okay. You guys so go back and forth if, about if, this? If we're going to age something longer, it, it needs to be in French. If we're going to uh, do American oak, we need to bottle it a little bit earlier because the wine will dry out. It'll come become astringent. Mm-hmm. It'll be too... Have you ever done 200% on American before? No, actually. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> no. <laughs> so... Um, this is going to be fun. Are you kind of following it's this little be, project it's, along? It's going to be, uh, we're going to have, you know, a couple hundred K. It's, it's wine club and, and very select. Few, uh, well, I'm going to drink most of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It's like, it's, no, it's not. It's, yeah. your, it's your BV cab that we no, made. Yeah. <laughs> but he brought, he brought some up, and I'm going, man. But I'll tell you, the other wine. I mean, this wine is very good, but the other one he brought up. Uh, Barbera last week, man. It's been a long time. I've been we've been making Barbera since '78, right? And uh, it's been a long time since I've had a Barbera. I, I can't wait to get that puppy in the bottle. Well, it's getting bottled in three weeks. Yep. This one doesn't get an, uh, enough love in Paso, but it, it does well here, does it not? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. The, the uh, Italians grow exceptionally well here, for sure. I mean, yeah, and we've been making Sangiovese since sure. 90-something, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, they've done really well. I think, you know, I think it's the closest thing we have to, you know... A, you know, real Italian kind of wines. Yeah. They, they're earthy. They're we, rustic. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, the problems was when I came to California in 71, the two grapes, the most lightly planted red grapes were Barbera and Grenache. They were planted up and down the San Joaquin Valley. Those were the grapes that went into the uh, the jug wines, the Italian jug wines and everything. Because Barbera's got the high acid, the the, San, uh, the Grenache got that strawberry, big fruit, and it took so long for the for them to become recognized on the on the coastal counties, because they were the valley grapes, and they were oh that's San Joaquin, but both Barbera and Grenache are great wines. Oh yeah, and, and they do a spectacular job. Well, now I know my next blend. Yeah, huh? <laughs> we're going to do a Barbera Grenache. Does he yeah. call you with... Oh, the- yeah, we're going to call it... Yeah, I, I don't we're going to call, what- call it the Valley Floor. Yeah. <laughs> no, he- but I mean, no, think about it. I mean, it was... You know, when, you're, when you're fermenting things in, you know, 100,000-gallon uh, tanks, and uh, it's the Grenache... Because you didn't have to acidulate it because of the Barbera, and you didn't have to add any... I mean, the, the, the Grenache gave it the fruit... And it was, I mean... Both usually have excellent pHs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Does he call you with these types of things once per harvest? Like, hey, here's a little idea. I, I want to try it. Well, if it, if it was pre-harvest, it'd be perfect. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's normally when, uh, when everything's been done and put away. And so he's asking for like pretty much what might equate to like a half ton extra of cab that you got to find somewhere, right? And then do some with it. I mean, that's about what a barrel. I don't know. Well, I mean, is that hard no, to do? He, he, uh, no, no. I think most of the time I can, I can, I can always make. Well, of it course happen. you can. Always, I'll yeah, make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's not a problem. It's not a problem. But the thing with Barbera and Sangiovese, it's disappearing around here. Yeah, you know, it's we lost one of our vineyards, the Partridge Vineyard. He stopped farming. Uh, people are ripping out those kind of. It's not even that obscure of a variety, but around here, it's becoming that way because they're planting cab and and rones. Where does Barbera grow best here? Uh, I okay, it's hard because I have worked with some from Glen Rose, 
West Side High Elevation. It was it was very good. Mm-hmm. It was very fragrant. Um, I believe he ripped it out recently. Yeah. Um, we have Barbera coming from the Bootjack Vineyard. You know, somewhat famous vineyard. That's super good. The best Barbera I ever worked with. Well, there are two. It was same clone, but I had thirteen acres that I planted at Estrella. In fact, it was the easternmost vineyard of the Estrella uh, out there on 46. When I left Estrella to start Everly, I lost that. But Art Norman came to me, and he wanted to plant. He had a little six-acre section, and he took the wood. And, and for years I made, you'll see my old Barbera labels, Norman Vineyard. And that was, but they were both. Geez, I, 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 I can't tell you which was the better of the two. They were so similar. Norman Vineyard is now down where Brecken is. Yeah, Vineyard Drive. Yeah, and uh, the Estrella was uh, very far, al- yeah, almost, almost, a, the almost to Toby's yeah. place. Almost at opposite ends of the... Uh, yeah, didn't have any rot problems. It had the high acid. Everything planted over there was stuff that came off of the Estrella. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. I planted uh, all of his vineyards. I mean, back then, just think of, like, Vineyard Drive then. I mean, it must have just been him. Maybe, like, no. a couple more, right? I mean, it's... What, was it a dirt road? Was there a road? No, no. Yeah. There, there, there <laughs> were, yeah. The thing is, you know, you, you get over there, and I used to think because, you know, you know, I was, you know, making wine over here and growing grapes over here, and this is where, you know, my professors and everything. And, you know, if you look at Paso, we've got 40,000 acres of grapes now, and 35,000 of it at least, probably more, is over here, and there's not that much. I mean, that to the, it's that disproportionate? Oh, yeah. There is more... No, I've heard this line before. It's probably, I know what you're going to say. No, I, I just can't think of it. But there's I, I more know. East Side juice in the West Side wineries than. Oh, I didn't know you were going to say yeah. that. But yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm not touching that. Yeah, one. no, I I, I, I try to be pretty apolitical there. Oh, while we're stepping on toes, hey, let's talk about limestone again because a lot of people oh, will say limestone. I know. I mean, I mean <laughs> oh, might as well just dive right in, Chris. Jeez. No, but this is an interesting one because you are, you know, a science dude and people use limestone a lot and your point is, no, it's not real limestone. It's what? Calcium carbonate? What is, what is Calcareous. Calcareous. There is a tremendous amount, probably 5% of the stones in the county of San Luis Obispo are calcareous based. Of that 5%, maybe one half of 1% is what you would call limestone. And even what we call limestone in California here is not limestone like San Emilion. Yes, or Pennsylvania or, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. So when I'm looking at the, the situation at San Emilion, their walls, that that white rock, that's limestone. That's limestone. Got it. Okay, got it. Yeah. And it's it, actually, it's not com- white. It's it's really more gray. True. I You're mean, right. you know, the the caves in, in, in Champagne were, they were never dug for wine caves. They were dug as quarries. All of those tunnels, those, the stone that came out of there built Rem and Paris. Yeah. And in Bordeaux, the same way. Mm-hmm. They built the city, and it's the gray, light gray yeah. limestone. Okay. What we have here is calcium silicates, primarily. And I, I once made the comment, and I got kicked in the teeth for this, or kicked in the butt, whatever. 
And I made the joke. I said, there's not enough limestone in Paso Robles to make five bags of Portland cement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you went to Tom Rice, who was the geologist down there, and I've got his book. It's on my desk. He said, hey, you know, there's, in reality, there's probably more what we can consider limestone. Because if you get to 50% calcium carbonate, you can say, okay, it's limestone. Ah. It's, uh, but it's not limestone that's 100% calcium carbonate. So it's a little more calcium silicate. Yeah. But the grapevine can only take up calcium is one form. As calcium, it doesn't take up calcium silicate. It doesn't take up calcium carbonate. They split and it takes up the calcium. Okay, it so don't It don't matter. It doesn't matter anyways, but your point is... Hey, in Bordeaux, they got oh, calcium. Car- oh, they got limestone. They got limestone. Forget the limestone. There are three major limestone outcroppings. And this, I mean, California, we import our cement. There's a, there's a concrete plant, a cement plant in Tehachapi, which is the largest natural limestone outcropping in California. And you got the one up at Calera, up by Hollister, and there's one over by Mono Lake. That's California is granite. It is all of the granitic igneous rocks. It's not sedimentary rocks. Mike drop, Chris. Yeah. That's how you that's how you drop the mic. I got. I'm speechless. <laughs> no, I'm no, glad you're recording this so I can repeat it later right, yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> It's so interesting, no, because you know, I mean, there there are these stories that are told here. Because one, we're trying to get you know people from all walks of life and all areas to understand and and wrap their head around Paso. And I think sometimes you know, yeah. there's little facts that maybe just you know need some Gary Eberly correction. Well, you know, it's, it's just I mean, one of the things that you know, I I try to be as honest as I possibly can. And as you know, I mean, if you're a winemaker in the wine industry. By nature, you are a compulsive liar. But <laughs> when I when I hear shit. somebody talk about oh the limestone that we've got, I'm going, okay, that's when the BS meter goes yeah into the red. Come on, forget forget the, the limestone, forget the calcium carbonate. If you want to talk about calcareous soils, that's great. I mean, all living things uh, take up calcium. And they need it, but it takes up calcium. It doesn't care if it's calcium carbonate or calcium silicate. It takes up only calcium as an ion. It cannot take up the molecule. Preach. Going even further, though. You know, I mean, biological science was my... But, this was your thing. But geology was my secondary. I loved geology. Did you, Let's not talk about snakes. Let's not bring oh, snakes Oh, up. yeah, no. Did you, um, did you hit it off with Ken Volk? Yeah, oh, Be- yeah. Because I, of these, um, both of these pieces of the science that you both love? Yeah, and, and I planted Kenny's, for, you know, the, the vineyard, right? At, I, mean, I planted those. His, his, his Cabernet and Chardonnay over there came off of the Estrella. Kenny Volk, he's a super intelligent guy. Maybe too intelligent because he tries to be uh, uh, a little bit of everything or a lot of everything. But uh, no, Ken Volk was... Uh, oh, he gets into varietals I've never even heard of. Oh, boy. 
I don't know, he brought in, you know, so many different things. He's so interesting. But he, and, and then he got into the tomatoes and the heart, you know, the... the, the uh, oh, yeah. I was uh, in his backyard. I checked uh, them all heritage out. Heritage tomato. I mean, Ken Volk, honest to God, he is, he is so... He's, he's the kind of person you want to sit down and spend a whole day with, with the several bottles of wine, and just... The stuff that he knows is top end. What was the last time you were wrong on something? <laughs> no, you, well, no, not the last time I was wrong, but the time I was the most wrong. Okay, okay. Shannon Blanc and Pastor Robles. A lot of people planted Shannon back in the day. It got ripped up for what, maybe Chardonnay, Chris? Or, but a lot of folks have stories of having old Shannon. Uh, well, apparently no. it, didn't, it didn't grow well. The, no. the, the stomatas wouldn't close. Yeah, exactly. The stomates would, would 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 I mean never closed, and you could be irrigating, you could be throwing water on a hot, dry day in past rubbles into the vineyard, and the roots could be sitting in water, and they could not pump water fast enough to keep the vines from desiccating. Chenin Blanc, look where she, the great Chenin Blancs are in the Loire. It's wet, it's humid, it's cool. And I planted 60 acres of Chambon <laughs> in Passerable. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, there are some regions that are much hotter uh-huh. that uh, are famous for Shannon, like, you know, places in South Africa. Yeah, I do love a good Shannon block. Yeah. It's more of a humidity thing than anything else because mm. the, the vines, the stomates on the bottom, the leaves never close. They York just, Mountain is an exciting area. Did you think that would blow up? I think in the next five, uh, ten years, you're going to hear way more about York Mountain than we ever have. I, I, I don't want to take too much credit for... <laughs> York Mount, because, you know, I mean, I drew up the boundaries, and then Max... Shut up, really? Max Goldman was uh, uh, York Mountain. I mean, and he was the first three meetings, or the first two meetings of the American Society of Enologists were held at his living room when he was working over in the valley. When is this? Oh, geez, this is in the 40s. Okay. (laughs) I mean, before I was born, really. And he's one of the grand old men of our industry. But York Mountain has history from like the late 1800s. Yeah, but Max Max Goldman bought it in the uh, like 1970. And when we say it, we're literally talking about York Mountain like where Epic Winery is. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And uh, and, uh, we're drawing up, we're creating the Pastorables Appalachian, and we included what is York Mountain. And, you know, you have to get everybody's to sign off on it and everything and max says no and and we're me tom martin and vic and herman we're all going oh come on i said max i said i tell you what we will create this little tiny appellation it will be york mountain it'll be your own appellation you're separate it's a very small little appellation it's tiny and 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 that was how we got Max to sign off on the Passaway VA. Yeah, that because he was not Passaway he, VA. He, he didn't was, want to be in there. Why? He, I, you'd have to know Max. So this is interesting. So he wanted to be because I think the York Mountain. I mean, it definitely is a little different, right, Chris? I mean. Yeah, or do you yeah, think for it's, sure. No, yeah. I think you know all those areas, the little pockets on on the west side, are, the, are it's the, all very. It's the westernmost. Yeah, yeah, little piece up there. Uh huh. And honestly, the Syrah there tastes very different than oh. the rest of the Syrahs and 
You but know? anyway, that's how that's how that came about. So we super excited. We 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 cut out this area. I mean, it, 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 the original lines that we drew in included York Mountain and Max. What a trip! Well, they got a lot of people over and, there from, of course, carved, Epic Estate Wines, who has you know been yeah. kind of trying to make full circle that you know history of say even mm. you know Paderewski bringing his grapes mm. to the York Brothers, and they got the vineyard, they got the whole thing, and then you know look at like Russell Frum, uh, Justin Smith, Juan Mercado. Uh, I mean, I'm leaving Anthony Yunt, Right, there's a lot of people up there, Chris, making some exciting wines. I think I think this is an area that's going to be like a lot more like, hmm, Rock Mountain, what? Well, I mean, if you go even further, I mean, the whole new Slow Coast AVA and all that, I mean, that's that's not too far off from where, you know, York Mountain is. No, I think there is going to be, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening out that way. And technically, it's not a part of Paso, so Gary won't let me get any fruit from there. Do you want to? Would you want to if you could? You have no desire. He, he doesn't have many rules. There's really only one, and it's, you know, all the fruit that we do has to come from Paso. There's a lot of brands now who are making other things from other places and, and doing pretty exceptional things with it. And you've got a winemaker that could easily handle it. You never, you never want to play. You know, we go down the line. Chris will someday be in charge, and he can do whatever he wants. Scupperdog! Woo! <laughs> but uh, I, uh, no. Come on. I, I mean, I, uh, you know. Paso till I die, ride or die. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> come on. I never made... Certainly since 1980, I've never made wine from any grapes outside of Paso Appalachian. Reminds me of Alex Madonna. Alex Madonna always said to the family and to everybody, there will never be a pool. He said, over my dead body, no. <laughs> there will not be a pool to Madonna in. And he had all his reasons. And it's great to listen to the Pierces and tell the story how, you know, it was this and that and the other, mm-hmm. his reasons. But, um, you know, and well, it's, it took it's, a while, but then we got a pool. <laughs> and it's not that big of a deal that I have to pull from Paso because... Of course. It's, man, we've got, we do 20... You know, almost twenty something varieties, and there's so many different you know AVAs to pull from, and yeah, of it's, it's not a problem finding cool. Oh no, we're very lucky here locally, and it's actually really good because I don't want to drive two hours to go see a, no, a vineyard down in uh, you know Santinas or whatever mm-hmm. else. Everything's local. It makes my job a little bit easier as far yeah. as like checking out the fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you can't find, I mean. There, there are some things that we aren't going to be able to do properly in Paso. No, we're not going to make a Gewurztraminer, but the things that we do well, we do outstandingly well. Amen I mean, to that. Yeah. Everybody thinks we're a big winery. We're really not. And we're not about to... I mean, we, we actually make more different wines than we should for a winery our size, what, 28,000 cases. You know, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, we do 500 cases of this, 600 cases of that, 800 cases of this, 2,000 cases of that. And we go, you know, you know I mean, I keep thinking, we got to quit making that. <laughs> why, why do you come to me and you're like, hey, let's do a GE private reserve? Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Damn yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Man. I love it. Well, this has been so much fun. I love you guys so much for taking time, especially right on the heels of a holiday and with everything going on. I hope you guys both have a, the best Thanksgiving ever and great Christmas with your families and everyone, your friends, and, uh, you know, from all your team here. I just love you guys and both of you gentlemen, too. So thanks, guys. We love you, Adam. Yeah. For sure. Don't We're forget to dry rosé with uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. You're drinking it. Oh, man. You can have that is mine. the best one you ever had. Oh, it, it is the best one I've ever had, but it's, it's still scuppered on. 
So give me that moonshine, we'll get by. We bounce on round till the job is done. Camped out in the trees, it will simplify good company. Always love my time with Gary Eberly. And I'm so excited how much ass Chris Eberly is kicking there. I mean, you have a brand that for over 40 years has been an award-winning and respected winery. Because Gary has always told me, if Eberly was going to succeed, Paso Robles had to succeed. But with Chris Eberly's first vintage back, I want to say, in like 2015, the wine is still getting even better under his leadership. So it was just cool to have him there. Great chat. Now, we are looking forward to our next episode. We're going to talk about collaboration when big names collab. It happens all the time here, and one of my favorites actually involves a brewery, a very popular brewery, talking about Firestone Walker, and we're going to have brewmaster Matt Brindelson along with winemaker, spirit producer Alex Villacana from Refined Distillery. Super excited to have Matt here, and with Alex, it is going to be an epic episode and it will be our next episode. So if you got beer questions, if you got booze questions, this will be the time. DM me. Find me on Insta, at Adam on the Air. DM me, and we'll get them all answered for you. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Jill Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. Thanks to Jamie Guzman for assistance in fulfillment. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music on Where Wine Takes You, performed by Moonshiner Collective, the song Good Company, and all of their songs can be streamed anywhere you get your music. Spotify, you can learn more about the band MoonshinerCollective.com. Equipment, transportation, and technical consideration provided by Fly With Wine. Please take a moment, share the podcast with someone who maybe likes wine like you do, likes Eberly like hopefully you do, or likes Paso like you do. And always encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you have already. Thank you so, so much. And happy Thanksgiving. I and everyone here at the Where Wine Takes You podcast is so thankful for you connecting with us here. And until next time, glasses up. You know, Thanksgivings are different every year depending on where everyone is going, what everyone is doing, who is going to what. But no matter where everyone is or wherever you are, give thanks to every member there. Recognize any new faces around your table and pray for those who are no longer with us and just i don't know get lost in any extra time that you're blessed to have at table with those you love enjoying and sharing where wine takes you and give me that Camped out in the trees who will simplify and good company.